Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. In 2008, I had the opportunity to travel on a short-term mission trip with my church, and we went to Central Asia to the country of Kazakhstan and spent two weeks there. Had a great trip. On the way back, we had a layover of about 18 hours at Heathrow Airport in London. So we decided to leave customs, leave the airport, get some hotel rooms, stay there, and then explore the city a little bit. So we went out that night after we had spent, you know, kind of an exhausting couple of weeks together. We walked through the city, saw some of the sights. One of our leaders had picked out a restaurant that we could go uh, enjoy dinner at that would kind of give us a sense of British culture and kind of enjoy that. And so we were making our way to this particular restaurant, walking through the city, kind of tired, exhausted. We finally see the restaurant as we're coming up to it. We're all looking forward to enjoying dinner together, having some respite. And at the door, there was uh, an attendant and he was checking to make sure that everybody had an ID because at the restaurant, they sold alcohol because it's Europe and you had to have an ID to get in. Well, we discovered that two people from our group had left their passports at the hotel. So they couldn't get in. So a discussion arose about what we were gonna do. Do we go in and leave the two behind and let them fend for themselves? Do we go all the way back to the hotel and try to pick up the IDs? Do we go somewhere else? And so there was a discussion that happened and we ended up eating at McDonald's. And so not everyone was happy about that. Now that's, that's kind of a superficial story about a disagreement in ministry. But think about maybe you've had a time where you were at a congregational meeting and there's a really important vote and you feel really strongly about the issue that it should go a certain way. And then the vote is taken and the vote doesn't go your way. Or maybe you're really involved and really invested in a particular ministry in the church and you've been a part of it for a long time. And one day you get a phone call from the ministry leader and they say, hey, can we have a conversation? I know you've been a part of this a long time. We're we're really glad and thankful for all your service, but we've been thinking about it. We're going to move in a different direction for that ministry. What do we do in those kind of situations? When we have a ministry disagreement, how do we handle that? Well, I bet at this point you can uh, figure out already that we're going to talk about ministry disagreements. The good news is that though we have these from time to time, this is not new. We have an example right here in scripture from the book of Acts of a ministry disagreement. Now remember the context. We're in chapter 15 of the book of Acts moving through and we just got done two weeks ago talking about this, this great council and all the unity that they had over the gospel issue. And the very next account that we're given is an account of a ministry disagreement and a split. So what does this show us? What should we see from God's word from this? What can this ministry disagreement in Acts 15 show us about gospel unity? If you would, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 15, 
I'm going to read this for us again. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. That's a pretty significant thing. What can we learn from this account of scripture? The first thing that we can see from this is that this ministry disagreement shows there is unity in what the gospel actually is. We should see from this that the apostles were truly unified in what their message was. These men that Jesus personally chose to be his representatives, to be his emissaries, they knew exactly what his message was. And they were all in agreement about that. So again, remember the context. Chapter 15, there, this disagreement comes up uh, about the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so they call what we call the Jerusalem Council. They bring all of the, the apostles are there, the elders of the church are there, and this is a huge question. And the question that they're bringing up is, are Gentile believers fellow heirs through faith in Jesus Christ? That's a big question, right? We can agree. That's a huge question. Are Gentiles through faith in Jesus fellow heirs? Or do they have to also become Jewish? In other words, do they also have to practice circumcision and follow the Levitical law? That's the question. This is a big issue. This has big potential for conflict, for causing fracturing and a schism in the church. But what do we see? There's discussion. There's all these kind of things going on. But what we see is not fracturing. We actually see when the decision is, is made and it's brought back to the church in Antioch, there's rejoicing. There's celebration. There's union. Let's just look at this real quick. This is the section just before what we were looking at today, starting in Acts 15, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and they gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So after this big question, there's utter and total unity. And then right after that is verse 36. And after some time, Paul says, let's go and strengthen the churches where we preached before. Sounds like a good idea. So Barnabas says, yeah, that's cool. Let's go. Sounds good. But let's also take Mark with us. Look at verse 37. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now it's interesting here, if you look at this in the NASB translation, they actually translate a word that the ESV leaves out. They just don't translate it. And it's the little word also. It's a short little word in English. It's a short little word in Greek, but it's there in the Greek text. Barnabas agrees with Paul's idea. Let's go strengthen the churches where we had preached, where they had heard the gospel, but he wants to do something else too. He wants to also bring this guy, John, who is also called Mark. He wants to do that in addition. I don't know if you've ever had a situation experience like that where you have a goal and an idea. You say, let's do this. And someone says, yeah, great, but let's also do this. You know, maybe you say, um, hey, I'm going to run to the store, the grocery store real quick and pick up anything. Like, do you need anything from the store? And they're like, yeah, um, I'll come with you. And, and let's also go to Target and let's go to Lowe's and maybe the mall and maybe we should get lunch, you know? And you're like, great, that's a totally different thing now. That's what it was going on here. Barnabas says, yes, let's go, but let's also bring John called Mark with us. And Paul thought best not to take Mark. He said, no, we're not, we don't want to do that. But Barnabas does. And Barnabas wants to take Mark because that's who Barnabas is. That's what Barnabas does. Remember who this guy is. You know, we think Paul and Barnabas, we know who, who they are. But let's just remember who Barnabas actually is. Now, Barnabas is not his real name. That's what we always call him, but it's not actually his name. It means son of encouragement. It was a nickname. And it, he becomes known by it because encouragement was such a huge part of his life, his personality, and his ministry that they don't even use his real name. They just call him son of encouragement. And we, you probably don't even know his real name. But it's actually in scripture. If we look in Acts 4.36, we see that his name was Joseph. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So he has a real name, Joseph, but nobody calls him that because he's just Mr. Encouragement. We also know another thing, another important thing about Barnabas is he is actually the one who brings Paul to the church in Jerusalem and introduces Paul to the apostles. Because you remember Paul, he was persecuting the church. He's tracking down Christians to throw them in prison. He has a conversion and then he's coming in. And you can imagine the Christians, oh yeah, you believe in Jesus now. Uh-huh, yeah, we're going to invite you in, give you a membership role. No, they're, they're kind of scared of him. But Barnabas comes alongside Paul and brings him in. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him. That's Paul. Didn't just like say he brings him. It's a specific word. He took a hold of him. And you kind of get the picture that if Mr. Encouragement takes hold of you, you know, he, he brings you alongside, he's not going to let you go. And it seems to be the case that Barnabas has done this with Mark. He's taken him under his wing. And so this is what Barnabas does. Paul, on the other hand, he's like, I'm about the mission. Okay, maybe you, can, maybe you can think of some people you know, some who are like, it's all about the people. 
Maybe some other people, you know, it's like, forget the people, it's all about the mission. <clears throat> so who is this Mark that, that Barnabas has taken under his wing? Well, we know quite a bit about him. It says his name was John, also called Mark. John is a Hebrew name. That was <clears throat> his Hebrew name. But they're living in this world where they have the, the Jewish culture, but they also have the Greek and Roman culture. So Mark is a Roman name. So it's probably one of those things where he's called both. But he has a, a Hebrew name and a Roman name. We also know about Mark that Barnabas is his cousin. Colossians 4.10 tells us that. So Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So not only has Mr. Encouragement taken him under his wing, there's also family involved in this. So Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Mark was from Jerusalem. That's where he's from. It's his hometown. He probably came from a wealthy family. How do we know that? Well, because they have a house in Jerusalem, Acts 12, 12, and the house has room for what scripture called, says to host many people who are praying. So you know the story from Acts 12, 12. This is where there's persecution from Herod. Peter's thrown in prison. He miraculously gets out. The church is gathered in Mary's house. Mary, who is Mark's mother. And they're praying. They got a prayer meeting going on. There's many of them. Prayer meeting. And Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Peter miraculously gets out. The angel lets him out of jail. And he goes to Mark's mother's house, Mark's family house. And he's knocking on the door at the gate. He can't get in. That's where Mark lives. So he probably comes from a substantial wealthy family. And Mark is closely associated with Peter. That's the place that Peter goes. Um, but this Mark, this John called Mark, is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. And that is essentially Peter, the apostle's account of Jesus' life and teaching that Mark wrote down. So Mark is writing Peter's account. So you can see how close they are connected. And Peter also considers Mark his son in the faith. He says that in 1 Peter 5, 13. So Mark is considered a son in the faith to the apostle Peter, a significant guy. We also know about Mark that he came with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch from Jerusalem the first time they went there. So that's right after the story when Peter gets out of prison, there's persecution going on, and they leave Jerusalem the first time and go to Antioch that first time, and they bring Mark with them. That's Acts 12, 25. So we're kind of catching up as we get up to speed. This is all before the story that we're talking about this morning. And then from there, that's where Paul and Barnabas are sent by the church, their commission to go on their first missionary journey from Antioch. And they do that. And when they go, they take Mark with them. He goes with them to assist them. And so they leave Antioch, they make their way, and they sail to the island of Cyprus. We see that in Acts 13, verse 5. So Mark assisted Paul and Barnabas in his ministry there. Now, I think if you go to the next slide, we have a little map that'll kind of help solidify this in our minds. So Paul and Barnabas, they leave Antioch, they sail across, and they go to the island of Cyprus, and Mark is there with them. But after they leave Cyprus, they go back to the, the mainland, they go to Perga in Pamphylia, and it was at that point 
that Mark left. He withdrew from them. And he went back to Jerusalem, which remember is his hometown. So Paul and Barnabas continue on their journey, but Mark has left. He went back home to Jerusalem. I think there's a map there that kind of shows you too. So they sail to the red line there. Paul, Barnabas go up there with Mark. Then Mark goes back to Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas continue on their ministry. And that's where they go to Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and all of that. But Mark had left. And he went back home. And that's the issue that Paul has. Look back at chapter 15 and verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Mark's a significant guy, but he left. And that's the reason Paul did not want to take Mark with them when they go back and strengthen the churches where they had been before. And so I think the reason Paul doesn't want to take him is because he left. And the reason I think that's the reason is because that's what the text says. (laughs) Because it's interesting, we don't know from that passage where Luke, our writer, tells us that Mark left. He doesn't say why. Could be a lot of reasons. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he was missing his home. Maybe it's like, oh, it's holiday time. I got to get back and see the family. Maybe he left his passport behind. (laughs) It's probably not that. But we don't know the reason why, but we know that he left. It's interesting. Mark, uh, Luke doesn't tell us why Mark left. And Paul here in his talking to Barnabas, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, well, Mark left because he's lazy or Mark left because he wanted to go home. He just said he left. It's the leaving that's the issue. Now they have a problem, don't they? Yes, let's go strengthen the churches. Yep, we both agree. Paul, Barnabas, we're going to go strengthen the churches that we preached at before. Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. Paul says, not a good idea. What are you going to do? You either have to take him or leave him. There's no middle ground here. So what do they do? Well, that's verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. A sharp disagreement. This is, this is fairly strong language. I think you can see that. And a sharp disagreement here, this is a state of irritation expressed in argument. You think these guys have an argument? They have an argument. This isn't like some kind of mutual thing. Irritation. Paul and Barnabas, they're irritated over this question. We're going to take him. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. And it's a sharp disagreement. So they part ways. They separate. Now think about this. Paul and Barnabas, these are two men who risk their lives for the sake of Christ's name. That's what the apostles say about them in their letter, Acts 15, 25, and 26. Risk their lives for the sake of the gospel together. And yet, they part ways. Interesting that the scripture includes this, isn't it? Luke doesn't just jump over. He doesn't say, oh, well, they separated. They had a sharp disagreement. So what does this disagreement highlight? Why is this here? What should we learn from it? 
Well, I think we can really learn from this by seeing what it is not. It is a sharp disagreement, but what is it not? It is not a split over the big issue. It is not a split over the gospel issue. Now, if you're reading through chapter 15 of Acts, you would think, you had two things. Okay, they're going to have to decide if Gentiles have full participation in Christ. That's the gospel issue. And over here, whether we should go on this trip with this one specific guy, which one of those do you think is going to cause more division? You'd think, oh, well, of course it's the big issue. Of course it's the issue of Jews and Gentiles. I mean, they're separated. They're totally, they don't even get along. They don't even spend time in each other's houses. But when you read Acts chapter 15, there is utter unity on the gospel issue. And that unity is actually highlighted when you get to this part. And there's disunity. There's, there's disagreement about, should we take this guy, Mark, or not? What that actually does is it actually highlights, by contrast, the incredible unity that the church and the apostles had about the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. It also shows us these are not just guys who are like, well, let's just get along. You know, we just got to all get along because that's what we should do. Obviously, they're not. They're irritated at each other. They split up over this issue. So how is it that in the earlier issue, the bigger issue, the gospel issue, they can have total unity? It's because the gospel is the thing that unifies them. They're unified in the gospel, and they're utterly unified about what the gospel is. And that's what this shows us. They were unified because of the gospel, and they were totally unified in what the gospel is. They can disagree and part ways about Mark. But on the gospel, rock solid 100% unity. That's what I think we're supposed to see here. This is important for us today. I think about this because every Christmas and every Easter, like clockwork, there are magazine articles news panels, and they bring up the question, who really was Jesus, and what was his message? And they have all these people talk about, well, we don't really know. Somebody said this, somebody said that, I don't even know. Last week, the Wall Street Journal Review had up this in the paper, our many Jesuses, and that's just one of many examples, every time. This culturally is this whole idea. Well, we don't really know what Jesus. What utter foolishness. The apostles knew exactly what Jesus' message was. The people Jesus himself handpicked to say, you will carry on my message. You will deliver it. They had utter agreement about what the gospel is. They weren't wondering, well, is it this Jesus or that Jesus? They had every every part of it, they were unified. There's no disagreement at all. And you know what? They handed down that message once for all to the church. And as we are here together today, we are unified with them because we believe their message that was once for all passed down. We have that same kind of unity in the message of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why we hold the scripture. Because it is the message. It's the message of Jesus. And you can have utter confidence in that. No matter what the panels say, no matter what the newspaper things say, no matter the, how many articles come out and say, oh, well, we don't really. The people who walked with Jesus, who were commissioned with his message, they knew exactly what his message was, and they have passed it on to you through the church. We can know with utter confidence. That's what the conflict over the minor issue shows us, that they had unity over the major issue. But there's something else we can learn from this passage. And that is this. This ministry disagreement between Paul and Barnabas shows that where there is gospel unity, ministry disagreements can happen without harming the local church. We should see Paul and Barnabas can divide without causing division. Look at verse 39, 40, and 41. And when... There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they separated. What's the result of this separation? Now, one of the things we should look at right away as we talk about this, as many things in the book of Acts is that this is not a normative story. What do I mean by that? This is not an example that you should turn to and say, here are the seven steps of how you should split up in ministry. Follow Paul and Barnabas. That's not what it's designed to do. It's not normative, like many of the things in the book of Acts. It's just an example of something hap that happened, and we can learn from it. So we should remember that. But what actually is happening here? We get, it's one of these things you can just read over it. You go pr pretty fast and you kind of don't get the details. But if you think about it, you can really, the focus starts to come about what this is about. So Barnabas does what Barnabas wanted to do. He takes Mark and he sailed away. Now, when you read that, you can think in your head. It's like they have an argument. Barnabas slams the door. He gets in the car and drives off. That's not what's happening. It, you don't just leave and go, but that's it. I'm going to get, you know, we're going to go on a ship. And how long does it take to prepare for a journey like that? And they're not in a port. They have to go from Antioch. They have to go down to the sea. This is planned. So we read it like he just sailed away. He's like, slam the door and we're off. That's not what happened. They do separate, <clears throat> but it's planned. It takes time. They're leaving their home base. This is the church that they've been ministering at. <clears throat> the other thing that we have to notice, is that Barnabas and Mark, what are they doing? They're actually doing the very thing Paul brought up in verse 36. He says, let's go from here and go back to the churches and build them up, strengthen them. Now, when Paul and Barnabas left Antioch the first time, where did they go? They sailed away to Cyprus. So Paul and, and, and Barnabas went there. Now Barnabas and Mark are going there. They're actually doing the very thing that Paul proposed. They're going to go to Cyprus. And I bet you they're going to go see the Roman proconsul who had become a believer when they were there the first time. Remember that story, Acts 13? The Roman proconsul, he's the governor of the entire island and he comes to faith. He's a part of the church now through their ministry. They're going to go back and strengthen that church. That's what they do. This isn't them storming off. 
just, well, we're going to do our own thing. They're strengthening the churches. And you see also Paul. What does Paul do? Well, if Barnabas isn't going, I'm not going to go. No, Paul carries out the mission he proposed. He just goes to a different place. Also part of the places they went to and built the churches. He goes to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. He chooses Silas to go with him. Silas, who was one of the two Jewish men who had carried the message from the Jerusalem council to Antioch, and they go together to strengthen the churches. Now, note, we have to get this. These are not two guys have a fight and they go off and do their own thing. Notice what they don't do. They don't, you know, it's like, well, Barnabas is going, I'm going to start first church of the encouragement right here. And Paul says, I'm going to start, you know, Pauline missionary church over here. That's not what they do. They're going off on missionary journeys, just not together. Paul is commended by the church in Antioch. They're not just lone wolves going off. He's sent by the church that sent him the first time. And it's interesting, Paul doesn't go back to Cyprus. In all the other things that we, that we know about his ministry, he never goes back to the island of Cyprus because Barnabas had gone there and Barnabas was taking care of that ministry. He can strengthen the church there with Mark. And it's really actually surprising when you read this story what's not said, what's left out. There really isn't a negative assessment. We would expect, right, that Luke, the writer, he's going to come down really strong. On, and Barnabas was wrong and Paul was right. My guy, Paul. Because, you know, Luke's writing from Paul's perspective. We might expect that. But it doesn't say that. There's no condemnation of either one. They split up and they're carrying out the ministry. It's kind of surprising. I think we, we kind of like to read into that and be like, well, which one was right? They had a disagreement. But... They're still carrying out the mission. Also notice there's not another council. You get that? They have the Jerusalem council. This is the minor issue. It's not like, oh, we got to put a council together because Barnabas and Paul can't get together. There's no council. They can resolve the issue. Also, they do not split the church in Antioch. Notice that. That's the kind of thing we tend to do. We have a disagreement. Who's on my side? Who's on that side? We're going to split down the middle. That's not what they do. They don't take sides, try to prove the other guy's wrong. They continue on in the gospel mission just separately. They go to different places. You can see that there on the map. They go in different directions, covering the same ground that they had covered together, but now they're doing it separately. They don't harm the local church. In fact, when you think about it, what happens is actually now there are two missions with two people on each one, strengthening the churches. It's also interesting to note, this is getting ahead a little bit, a little bit of preview, but you can go to the next map there, I think. Paul continues on from Tarsus. He goes to Derby and Lystra, where he'd been before, and he picks up another traveling companion. Somebody I'm sure you've heard of, Timothy. That's, that's next week. That's Acts 16. And you know, we, we know the ultimate result of what happens after this. Mark himself went on to be one of only three Jewish men who were with Paul during his Roman imprisonment. Colossians 4, 10 and 11. 
That was about 11 years after this event in Acts 15. Mark is one of three with Paul who were Jewish. Also interesting, even later than that, Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark with him for he is very useful to me in ministry, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 9, 10, and 11. And so there, that's at the end of Paul's life, he asks Timothy to come, you know, make every effort to come and bring Mark with you. And I love the picture of that. Because, you know, Timothy was Paul's son of the faith. That's what he calls him. Mark is Peter's son in the faith, the second generation. And they are there together at the end of Paul's life, ministering to him. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of their love for Jesus Christ. Because of their unity in the message. That's what ultimately happens. The church is strengthened. And as we close out chapter 15, I just want, to, want you to see, I want to highlight for you these kind of bookends in the chapter. The beginning of chapter 15 starts with a quote. It's a quotation from those who were troubling the churches. They came and they said, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. <laughs> Division over the gospel. At the end of chapter 15, Paul is saying, let's return and visit the brothers and see how they are. See the difference between those two things? One group causing problems in the church. The other group strengthening the church. Yes, they had a sharp disagreement and they separated. But the church, the bride of Christ, did not get battered in the process. Because their focus was on strengthening the churches. Their focus was on the gospel, not themselves. I have a friend, a real close friend, love him, he's a great guy, love, love to spend time with him, but man, his wife can't stand her. I don't have the time today, she's annoying, you know, if she, I, and don't even let, don't let me get started about her past. I could go list on, you know, the next time I have to spend time with her, I'm just going to go through and list all the bad things she's done in the past, and does that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> Yes. I'm glad. It makes me uncomfortable because I made that up. I don't have a friend like that. I don't talk about people like that. But you know what we do? We talk about the church of Jesus Christ like that so very flippantly. The bride of our Savior. Because we have disagreements. We have, you realize we're a bunch of people together and we're going to have disagreements? We are. Ministry disagreements. It happens. But do we bash the church in the process? Can I just share with you a personal story? When I was in college, so I went, I attended the same church from when I was a year old. I lived at home during college up till I was 24. When I was in college, I realized I needed to repent. And I had to write a letter to the senior pastor of the church. He'd been the pastor most of the time I was there. And I had to apologize. And I said, I have more often, because of ministry disagreements, criticized the church than prayed for it. The pastor was gracious about it. But I had to repent of that. That was the church where people had loved me. Sunday school teachers handed out 
animal crackers and taught me about Jesus. That's where I came to faith. I was baptized there. They they stood up week to week and taught me the truth about Jesus Christ. And I would criticize it because we made some decision that I didn't like. And you know what that showed me? It showed me that I didn't have a big enough vision of the gospel. Doesn't mean we can't have disagreements. And it doesn't mean sometimes those disagreements can be significant. But when we love the gospel, then we love the church that fostered us in the gospel. And when we have those disagreements, we're not going to batter the church. We're not going to harm the church. We're going to love the church. And we're going to serve the church. Because of the truth that we hold to. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised according to the scriptures. The beautiful things that we've just been singing about. That's the gospel. That's the truth. And when we hold that, when we elevate that, then we can love each other. Then we can have ministry disagreements without harming the church. We thank you for those who've labored in us to disciple us. We thank you for those who've preached the truth to us, even when we didn't want to hear it. And Lord, we thank you for the unity that we know we have the message of Jesus because the apostles were united in it. And Lord, if there's anything that we need to repent of, if there's anything that we need to turn from, help us to do it in grace. And will we rejoice in the good gift that you've given us, the church? And Lord, would we worship you? And will we have unity around Jesus Christ and what he's done for us? Because that's what we believe. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.